Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. And if you are a first-time guest, we're so grateful that you're here. We're actually concluding a series today entitled It's Me. And, uh, and really, the, it's been so much fun um, as we've been digging in and diving through uh, a series on relationships. And I think the common thread throughout each and every message has really been not so much dealing with uh, some of the surface things, but really trying to get to the heart of the matters. Because how many of you guys know when the heart changes, everything changes. And, uh, but the premise has, has kind of uh, come from this idea of, of when a couple is dating. And you guys have heard me say this, those of you guys who have been here every single week. But there's this, this idea when things aren't working out, we, we say phrases and we say things like this that we really don't mean. We say things like, um, listen, I know that you're, you're really beautiful and you're really awesome and I think you're great. You know, it's not working out, but I just want you to know that it's not you, it's me. But what we're really saying is it's you. And even in families and in circles and in friendships and relationships, uh, as we kind of grow in those areas, as we grow in our relationships, it doesn't come out as, uh, as smooth or, or with as much finesse as we get ladder into the relationships. A lot of times it comes out like this, fine, it's me, it's all me, blame me. But what we're really saying is, it's you. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, is really kind of drawing us in to lean into this reality that there might be some truth to that statement. There might be some truth that it's me. Some of the conflicts, some of the issues that are happening in our relationships may not be a result of them or the finger pointing at you. But James says it would be a good idea to start with us, to start with me. He says it like this in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says this. He says, don't they come from the evil desires. He says, where does all these fights and quarrels come from? He says, they come from the evil desires that war within you. You want something, but you don't get it, so you fight and you quarrel trying to get what you want. And today we're going to wrap up this series, and I've entitled the message, or I want to speak to you from the subject of, it's not you, it's my focus. It's not you, it's my focus. Would you pray for me, Father? Pray with me and for me. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for this morning and what you're going to do. But I really believe this is from your heart. It's a very simple message, but I, I believe it has the power to change everything. Because, Lord, the, the gospel is unchanging, unwavering, and as we know, is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, the gospel not only saves us, but sustains us and carries us to that day that we go to stand and meet with, stand before you and meet with you, Heavenly Father. So would you speak to us in a very vivid and real way? Would you fix our focus this morning? In Jesus' name. And everybody set? Amen. Amen. Well, I've been spending a lot of time in the snow over the last couple of weeks. I had a couple speaking engagements at a couple of camps, and we had so much fun. But this last week, I got to actually go have some recreation. Uh, Tuesday, my brother-in-law invited me up to go snowboarding. And it was a great time, so much fun. Now, I don't know if any of you guys snowboard or ski, uh, but there's nothing like it in the world. Great exercise, get out there. It's a beautiful day. The sun was shining. I had just a T-shirt and a jacket on. It was amazing. Now, I went with my brother-in-law and his buddy, and they're in their late 20s. I think my brother-in-law might be early 30s. Um, and so they have a lot of energy. And I, I know that they were thinking the old guy's going to come and really not be able to do much, but... Uh, you know, uh, I had to go and show them what time it was and, and show them how us old folks get down a little bit. 
And so we had so much fun, but they were pushing me to my limit. They had me doing things I had never done before. Let me show you a picture. We were jumping off things like this. I, I had never jumped off anything like that on a snowboard. Now I can snowboard. Uh, but I had never launched off of big ramps like this in the snow. It was the most terrifying and exhilarating thing at the same time. And, and they thought, man, if he can do it, they started stepping up their game. And, and we started launching off these things. We had so much fun. But we were pushing everything to the limit. I mean, you pay over $100 for a lift ticket, so I was like, I'm getting my money's worth. We're going for the day. We're going we're gonna, to, from the time it opens to the time it closes, we're going to drive it hard. And uh, so that was pretty much our entire day. And they were taking me off-road through forests, through trees. And it's brutal when you go, through, when you go off-road through the trees and through the forest, uh, off the main path because it's full of powder. And when you're on a snowboard, you got to really lean back so you don't get stuck, so you don't eat it. Um, and it's really painful on your back leg. Now, it was coming to the last run of the day. It's almost 4 o'clock, and I'm hurting. Everything is hurting. My legs are dying. These guys looked at me. They said, hey, bro. Um, they said, uh, you're going to be sore tomorrow. I was like, man, I'm already sore. What are you talking about? Because the whole day, you're, you're basically doing a squat all day. All day. Anybody like squats? Anybody like leg day? No, you're just doing squats all day. And so we came to the last run. We go to the very top of the mountain because we want to, you know, go out with a bang. And, and my legs are killing me. And so we, 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 we kind of go off this little ledge. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't look that steep when you're looking at it. But when you get up, you're like, oh, no, what did I do? And, uh, and so we're up there. We're going down this steep part. And my legs are on fire. So we finally get to a rest spot. Before we continue down the rest of the hill and my leg just starts cramping up my back leg. It just starts cramping. I'm like, no, buddy, you can't do this, right? I'm smacking it, trying to make it come alive again. You got to go. We got one more run. And uh, so finally it comes alive again, a little bit of massaging. And, and we go down and, and we're almost to the bottom. And then my brother-in-law's buddy said, you know what, we're going off-road again. I was like, I'm not going off-road. You guys can go off-road, but I don't think my legs can handle one more of those forest runs. And so I just, like an old guy, went down, uh, let them go down their way. I went down my way, and it was a great day. But, you know, I started to think that, you know, you know some of us, it's just the way that we're wired is we got to push things to the limit, don't we? Like, we just can't wait to conquer that next hill. We just can't wait to jump that next hurdle. Like, I got to take everything, uh, I got to take my career up to the next plateau. I got to make sure I'm in another financial tax bracket. I got to keep pushing. I got to keep striving. Nothing's wrong with hard work. But sometimes that's just the way we're wired. And some of us, we want to be good at everything so our plates are so full of all things. And we're trying to be good at all things, but we realize we don't have time for all things. But we've already scheduled all things, and so our lives are just crazy. And we're just pushing the limits. At every level. Now, some of us in our relationships, we push to be right all the time. Like you have to get the last word. You have to get the final say. Everybody has to see it your way. If, you, if they say it's black, you say, no, it's gray. Let me tell you why. Just, I just got to push it to that level. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with hard work. I'm kind of driven in that particular way. But, but I'm afraid that sometimes with all of the pushing and with all of the pressure that in the process of that, some of our relationships have the potential to suffer. With all the weight and, and trying to carry all the loads and all of the pressure on our relationships, little by little, they start to give way. They start to cramp up a little bit. 
In fact, some of you guys are one off-road away from calling it quits. One off-road away to saying, I'm done with this marriage. One off-road away to saying, you know what, God, I'm done with you. One off-road away to that friendship going south. One off-road away from to, to isolating yourself from your parents or your, or your kids or your family as a result of conflict and disputes. Now, now again, I'm not opposed to, to being driven. I'm not opposed to success. And, and, but I think it's important how we define it. Because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves driven by desire, James tells us, rather than led by God's spirit. And in that place, what we, what we find is that things start to cramp up, our relationships start to suffer, and then things start to explode in ways that we never anticipated. And it seems like in those moments is when we finally wake up, when everything is falling apart. Oh my goodness, what, what am I doing? Why is this happening? I, I don't know why all this is unraveling the way that... It, the way that it is, and, and we start to have these wake-up calls in these moments when everything is kind of crumbling. And I thought, I wonder if we just pause for a minute. Where we're at right now, all of our life, all of our relationships, and we would just consider what James has to say about life. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he goes on to say this. When it comes to your life, man, you don't even know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then he throws out this question. He says, what is your life? Like, what is it really all about? What does it mean to live life? He continues. He says, just to let you know that you're a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Now, this is a very famous passage, but sometimes we don't pause to, to soak in the reality of it. James is saying, you need, you need to just slow down and consider what is your life and realize that you are simply a mist. You are a vapor that appears for a little, bit of, little while, then you're gone. You see, something happens. There, there's wisdom. There, there's, there's something that takes place when we begin to realize that life is very short. You know, the psalmist says in Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, he says this. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen for you, but he says it like this. He says, um, he says, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Like there's just something wise about realizing the brevity of life. There's something about that that, that shifts our priorities and shifts our focus where they need to go. Now, when we consider this question, what is life about, a lot of us have a lot of different ideas. A lot of us right now, we can even say some of the right answers, but yet we're pursuing all the wrong things. We can say and we can talk about the important things in life, but yet we still tend to be driven by desire rather than led by God's spirit. And so I started to think if, if, if understanding the brevity of life, there's wisdom in that. And trying to discern, man, what's important, what's the priority? I couldn't think of anybody else better to help us than the wisest man that has ever walked the face of the planet named Solomon. Now, the cool thing about Solomon is, is he had a colorful past when it came to relationships. Matter of fact, his, um, his mom is Bathsheba. She, she was a woman that King David had an affair with, killed her husband, put him on the front lines of battle, 
And through that relationship, Solomon was conceived. That was his mom. There had been some, some family history. There had been some brokenness. There had been some dysfunction. Yet Solomon found great favor with God. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and the one thing that he asked for in life, he said, Lord, I want wisdom. And that's a great prayer. If you don't pray for wisdom, can I just encourage you to start praying for wisdom today? That is a great prayer to pray. But Solomon was trying to figure it all out too. He was trying to figure out, man, what is, what is life really all about? And so he began to do what most of us do. He began to be driven by desire. He began to, to go after everything, to take the next hill, to climb the next mountain. This is what Solomon said. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Basically, hashtag I'm the man. I've done it all. You're living the American dream, I've lived the world dream. I've climbed higher than everybody else. I've been to peaks that nobody's ever traveled. I've built things that you could only imagine. In fact, in this passage, when it goes on to list some of the things that, that Solomon indulged in, this is a, a short list, but it was pleasure of all kinds. If it feels good, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to roll with it. I'm gonna, whatever I can gain, whatever I can get. Indulged in much wine, had huge homes, planted vineyards, gardens, parks, forests, built kingdoms, had armies. Worked harder than anybody else. He had herds. He had cattle more than anybody else in the land. Oh, you got a couple of cows? I got herds. Silver and gold. Tons. Entertainment. Hollywood on call. Concubines. Lots of relationships. And he said, man, I... I have I've held nothing back from myself. And this is what he said as a result. He said, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. It was almost as if Solomon said, hey, listen, I, I, I put the ladder up against the building. I got to the very top and I realized it was the wrong building. It was all meaningless. Everything that I pursued, I thought was going to satisfy Solomon's screams, it doesn't work. He goes on to say, he says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. He said, this is the case of a man who was all alone, all by himself. Without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain much as much wealth as he possibly can. He, it's kind of interesting, I'm looking at a person who's, you know, may have a lot of people around him. And this might have reflected Solomon to a certain degree. He had a lot of people around him, but, but nobody really close to him. Kind of isolated, even in the midst of this massive kingdom. And he says, I, I, I was looking at all this stuff, and as hard as, you know, this guy's working, as hard as he's trying to strive for wealth, yet he's all alone. And there's just something that's so meaningless about that, so much so that Solomon asked the question, look what he says, he asked the question, he says, who am I working for? And why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. What Solomon was saying is, man, if I'm, doing, if I'm working hard and I'm trying to acquire all this and I have nobody to share it with, I have 
no relationships to enjoy in the process. It's like having everything you want on an island, yet you're all by yourself. He said, man, that is meaningless and it's depressing. And he's experienced all of this stuff. You know, it it was almost as if Solomon was saying, I've kind of learned a couple of things. And one of those things that he came to the conclusion of, it's not so much about what you do or what you have, but who you do it with. The relationships that God has put in your life and in my life. You know, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of funerals. I've been able to sit beside a lot of people's bedsides as they're dying. Um, and it's, it's, a t- it's tough. It's hard sometimes. Can I just tell you, I've never heard anybody say, hey, Matt, I just wish I would have worked more. Hey, Matt, lean in. I just wish I could have won one more argument. Hey, Matt, lean in. I just wish I could have. I could have been maybe a little bit, but if I wish I could have take, taken that one slope. It's never that. It always comes back down to, oh, man, where do I stand with God? What have I done with my family? What have I done with my relationship? It always comes down to these big rocks of not of what I've done, but who have I done my life with? You know, the other day I was, uh, we went to the, the Oakland Zoo. Oakland Zoo is stepping up their game. If you have not been there, you have to check it out. Let me show you a quick picture. It's my family and I. We were, uh, we were on the new gondola. And it takes you up to this restaurant at the top of the hillside. And you can see the entire Bay Area. It's beautiful. They're going to put animals up there. We're so excited. And uh, we're coming down uh, the gondola. And it was just a, a, a perfect moment. They're all looking out the window. And I'm grabbing my phone like, this is a moment. And, and I posted, I, I posted, you can't see the post, but I said, you know, God puts opportunities before us every single day. Sometimes we just need to pause and take a look. I mean, the, the view was so amazing, but I wasn't looking at this view. I was looking at this view. And I'm reminded all of the time that my girls are getting so big. They're growing up so fast. And everybody always tells me, you better, you better pay attention to them. They're, they're going to grow quick. They're going to... And I started to think, I, I said, you know, I don't want to miss out on watching them grow up. But that's still about me. I've been having a different thought lately is I don't want them to miss out on growing up with a dad. Because I think it works both ways. I don't, I, I don't want my wife have, to, to have an absentee husband. Because of all of my drive, because of all of my ambitions and my glasses are crooked, I don't know what happened. Um, and it was, it, was just, it was just a moment that I had to step back. And I have these moments quite often. Matter of fact, I intentionally put myself in positions and think about things like this, think about the brevity of life because it has a way of shifting my priorities and my focus. And because I'm a driven guy and because I like to conquer hills and I like to take the next hurdle and all that, all of that's great as long as I'm being led by the Spirit and not driven by desire. As long as things are held in their proper perspective. One of the things that I've come to learn that I want you to know Because it's helped me, and I'm sure it's going to help you, and that's this, is that sometimes the desire for things we want can destroy the relationships that we need. And that's just just the reality. The things that we want and we pursue sometimes, they're at the cost of the relationships that we so desperately need. You say, well, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. That's how you were wired. 
Matter of fact, you were, that, that's how God designed you. You desperately need people. And see, Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, began to figure this out just a little bit later. And look what he says in chapter 4. He says, we need relationships because relationships make us more successful. He says that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. You know, can I just ask you, who was God put before you that you can serve today? Sometimes we just lose sight of this. We think that we can do it all by yourself. You know, every time that I, I preach a message, you're not the first to hear it. I run it by my wife. I run it by Pastor Chris. I run it by, I'll inquire if I'm researching a certain topic. Because we're so much better together. That's just not a common cliche. Solomon said, no, 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 we are far more successful when we're doing life together. He said, not only that, not only is life more successful, he goes on to say that life, that relationships make us more sustainable. It just makes life more sustainable. Right? Likewise, two people are lying close together. They can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? You know, and this just isn't in a physical sense, a husband and wife, though it could be. But, but it's more so, listen, we need people around us to encourage us. The Bible says that the days are evil. I don't know if you've looked around, but it's kind of depressing sometimes. I don't even watch the news that much anymore. I stay up on current events because I have a responsibility there to understand what's happening in the world so I can pray and so I can hear God and all of these good things of what's happening. But I, I barely watch the news. I barely, because, man, there's just so much craziness. There's so much stuff. But we need one another to encourage each other. You know, sometimes there are times that I wanted to quit, but because I had somebody to come alongside of me and say, no, you're not. All of a sudden, what doesn't feel as sustainable starts to become a little bit more sustainable. And, and then lastly, uh, Solomon goes on to say that, that, that when we are in healthy relationships, we're less susceptible. Right? He says, if one person falls and the heater's on, can we turn off the heater? Because we are going to die in here. Um, in Jesus' name. This is heaven. Uh, this isn't the other place. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we are less susceptible if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. In fact, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so, so just get this picture in your mind that the enemy would love to devour you in multiplicity of ways. But I think one of the ways that he loves to devour is through division, through distraction. Because if he can find you isolated by yourself, look, look how Peter describes it. Peter says it like this. He says, be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And what he's looking for is, is an isolated prey. He's looking for a broken relationship. He's looking for a doorway. He's looking for a foothold. The Bible makes it very clear that even anger gives the enemy a foothold. He's looking just to get his foot in there. Whatever he can do, and he preys on the weak. He preys on the vulnerable. Whatever he can do to devour. Now, there's a lot of things that we can talk about in regards to the enemy's schemes. And by no means do I give him any credit. Because he is a defeated foe, and he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. However, the Bible says that we are not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And so, so, so there, there's a lot of schemes that we could talk about, but I think there's one that if we lean into today, it's going to help our relationships. It's going to help us in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a supernatural way. 
And, and this is the reality. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. Is that the enemy loves to devour through distraction. Now, that may seem like common sense. All right, yeah, I know the enemy tries to distract. And I know I'm not always focused where I need to be focused. But no, I need you to lean into this. Now, back in, in the, the ancient world, there, there was, a, there was a, 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 a torture device. And it was actually called distraction. Romans participated in it. Let me show you a picture of it. They would actually tie a man to four horses. Each of his limbs to one of the horses. And then, go. And then, oh, pulled about in every direction. And, you know, the, the, the crazy part is, is, is detrimental as that feels, for some of us, this is our life. For some of us, you know, we have one horse over here where we're so consumed with work and career and money that we're not present in the relationships where we need to be present. We're just, we're just pulled about, just driven by desire for more. Nothing's wrong with success. Nothing's wrong with ambition. Just as long as you're led by the Spirit and not driven by desire. And then there's another horse I think a lot of us that the enemy, you know, loves to, to distract us with, and that's things like bitterness. That's things like unforgiveness. That's things like, like pride that goes so, goes so deep, and we just don't want to budge on things. We're just so distracted by what we don't have and who we're upset at and what they did to us, and, and we just, just keeps us torn. So we, 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 can't, we can't catch a breath. We're just Ah, just, just driven over here. I'm, I'm torn by pride and selfishness and all these things over here. And then I think for some of us, we're, we, we find ourselves distracted by discouragement. We find ourselves just pulled about and we just look at life and we're just like, oh, man, I can't even see a way out. I can't even, I don't even want to gauge in relationships. I don't even want to move forward. I just, I'm just so distracted by discouragement. And then, and then we have another horse, and I don't know what that horse would be to you. I, I don't know what that would look like. Maybe it's the horse of social media. You just love to disengage through entertainment. I just don't want to deal with my problems. You know, a Hollywood producer came out recently and said, man, I've climbed the highest mountains. I've made so much money. He said, you know, I've realized that at the top of the mountain, you still have to deal with your problems. It's just true. It's just so true. And some of us were just scrolling through the feed. How many likes do I get? How many... What else is happening? Do you know that Google studies you so they, they just keep you distracted? You ever notice that you're just surfing on the Internet and all of a sudden, like, things that you have clicked on or you've looked at, all of a sudden they start popping up. You're like, oh, let me look at that. Oh, look at that. And next thing you know, you're like, I'm lost. I'm spending money. I'm distracted. You know, I think if you were looking to the middle of all this, what is the enemy's ultimate goal? Is distraction ultimately means division. I'm going to be able to divide if I can distract. You guys tracking with that? So, so, so let me say it like this. I love the way Rome, Paul says it in Romans. Paul says it like this. He says, and this is the message translation. He says, focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what God is doing. This is so big. You say, what does this have to do with relationships? Everything. Because when we're absorbed with self, we ignore who God is 
and what God is doing, or can I say what God wants to do in the midst of your relationships? Isn't that so true? Because we're so distracted, we're so pulled about with all these things, we, we've lost sight of who God is, and we, we don't even know what he's doing. We don't have time to hear him, we don't have time to seek him, we don't have time to do any of that. So crazy, at the end of Billy Graham's life, Billy Graham, legend, the end of a, 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 a generation, if you guys don't know who Billy Graham is, you just, I don't even want to try to explain. Just go look him up. But at the end of his life, he, he said he had three regrets. He says, man, I, you know, I would have stu- I I spoke less and I would have studied more. I would have just spent way more time with God, fasting and praying. He said, I would have turned down speaking engagements. I would have turned down some traveling across the world to spend more time with my family. And he said, I would have spent far more time in a community with believers. This man, I mean, when you look at Billy Graham, I mean, his track record is pretty sleek. But even at that, at the end of his life, when we look and you say, man, you've led millions to Jesus. You've done so much. He said, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's all about loving God and loving people. But sometimes I'm still so distracted by what I wanted that I lost sight of what I needed. And it all comes back down to self. I, I just, I couldn't see what he was doing in that moment. But now I see, and I wish I would have just stopped. It took a moment to invest in what's important. I mean, Billy knows at this point, and I think we all know, there's only going to be two things in heaven, God and people. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's it, people. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's the pinnacle of success. If you have not invested in those two areas, you will find yourself empty. And you will find yourself longing at the end. You may have pursued your desires and got everything you want, but you lived a life without everything that you needed. And it's just, it just ends in a, in a rough way. And so, so this is huge because if we don't know what God is doing... We start doing crazy stuff. Look what Proverbs chapter 29 says. It says, where there is no revelation or no vision, people cast off restraint, meaning people just lose their mind. They just go crazy. They start making foolish decisions. They start pursuing wrong things. And it's so interesting because a lot of times when this passage is preached, we, we talk about vision, but the real word for vision there is kazon. It means revelation. It means a revelation of God. When there's no revelation of God in our lives, when we don't know what God is doing, we will start making very foolish decisions. And we will cast off restraint and we'll live the way that we think is right. We'll do the things that we think we should. And then at the end of the day, we realize I neglected everything that was important. Oh, it's so frustrating. You say, why, why are you... What does this have to do with relationships? Why are you talking about myself and my focus on God? Why are you saying this, Pastor Matt? And I'm going to tell you, if you're taking notes, if you don't jot down anything that I say, jot down this right here. Is it so important because when we fix our eyes on God, we'll fix our heart towards people. That's it. You want the relationship secret? You want the the. The one secret that will change every relationship, you get your eyes fixed on God and it will fix your heart towards people. Even if they're wrong, even if they're a mess, even if they're going crazy, your heart is going to be in the right place. That's just bottom line. You could go to Barnes & Noble and you, you never notice that there's like, there's like 70 billion self-help books. I thought maybe if one of them worked, they wouldn't have to write anymore. <laughs> but there's just tons of them. Like, I got, I, got, I'm, I got no angst towards them or anything. I'm just saying, I'm not sure if it works. Because if the heart's not changed, 
If our eyes aren't fixed on God, I don't know if our heart's going to be able to be fixed towards people. And that's just, that's just a, a big deal for me. So you say, all right, Pastor Matt, that's very clever, very cute. Um, why, how do I do this? And why is this so important? You, you know, whatever we, wherever we fix our eyes, our heart will follow. That's just the truth. But this, again, preach is really good, but how do I, how do I, how do I fix my eyes? And this is it. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's very simple. Let the gospel that saves you be the gospel that changes you. Let the gospel that saves you. A lot of times we think the gospel is the ABCs of Christianity. It's a prayer that I pray that I pray, and all of a sudden the good news of Jesus gets me into Christianity. That's not the truth. You know, when Peter was dealing with racism, you know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't say, stop being racist. He said, hey, Pete, you're not keeping in step with the gospel, bro. You don't need to try to fix your behavior. You need to fix your eyes again and get your eyes on the gospel that saved you. Remember what you were saved from. Remember the gospel because that same gospel is what's going to change you. And it's that same gospel that's going to sustain you. I mean, this is, this is, this is a big deal. And, and I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, entangles us, a lot of times we feel like, uh, like we're entangled. But the, what the word means is, is it's what encircles you. What keeps you going in circles? What do you just keep walking around? <sighs> The writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. Throw it off. And you're wondering, like, how, how, how do I do that? Well, you got to make a choice. you got to make a decision. Now, that, this is where it gets a little bit sticky. Like, what do you mean by, by make a decision, Pastor Matt? Well, let me, let me tell you. You just don't need to make a decision. You have to have the right motivation. A lot of times we don't make the choices we need to make because we're not motivated to make those choices. Would you guys agree with that? Like some of us, we know the choices we're supposed to make, but why don't we make them? Because we're not motivated to make them. We're more motivated by the wrong choice or by the wrong desire or we're driven by desire rather than led by God's spirit, etc. You guys track it with me. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off every sin that so easily entangles us. How do we do that? He goes on to say... He goes on to say this. He says, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now this is huge because this deals with our motivation. And he goes on to preach the gospel to them. You know, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was he saying? Come on, he was saying, look, at, look, look again to the cross. Look again to what he's done. He's wiped away your shame. He's made you brand new. He's saying, hold on, hold on. Look again to the one that sits down at the hand of God. He has all authority. He is sovereign over all things. Fix your eyes. But here's the motivation part. Why should I? You know, when Jack and I first met, I would still look like a thug even though my heart was changed. And I didn't think that was going to work with her dad. Because dads, in, you know, back in the day, in, in that time, like it was a long time ago, like 20 years ago, 
Like, tattoos weren't cool and, like, popular like they are today. Like, if you had a tattoo of a nickname on your arm, you know, it just wasn't, I thought it was cool. But I was like, oh, no. I don't know if her dad's going to approve of that, right? But I was in love. In love. And you guys can start to play for me. I was in love. And so the fact that that might have been a hindrance, that might have caused me to get entangled and walk in some circles, I said, you know what? I'm willing to throw that off. So I sat months under the laser to get my tattoo removed that I might present, you know, myself to her dad. I was probably way overthinking it. Um, But this is just, the, the point is I was just willing to do anything to be with her. Like her beauty captivated me both inside and out. And that's how the gospel changes us. Not by you just make a choice to do the right thing. No, when you see the beauty of Jesus, when you gaze upon his beautiful face, you're like, man, what do I got to do? What do I got to shed? What do I need to get rid of? And it's in that place that as we begin to shed those things, as we see the beauty of Jesus, we start to see the beauty in people. And if you're looking and saying, Pastor Matt, okay, I wish you would have taught me something a little bit more deep today. Like, I, I understand the gospel. And listen, the moment you get tired of the gospel is the moment you've already looked to yourself. That's just the truth. And I'm just passionate. If you're a first-time guest, like, whoa! I love you. I'm just excited. Sorry. But it's the truth. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then he goes on. He says it again. He says, consider him. And this is what I want to speak to some of you today. Who endured such opposition from sinners. Like, I know some of you have been through some craziness in your relationships. He's not exempt. He gets it. I mean, could you imagine looking over the city of Jerusalem and saying, man, my, I just long to be with you. I've longed to embrace you, but you've not recognized the time of my visitation. Like, I, I came for you. And they rejected him. They despised him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, There is only one thing that can change us. There's only one thing that's going to change this world. And that is the good news of Jesus. Penetrating the heart of every human being. That would not just change us, but wouldn't change how we relate and engage with one another and the world. It's the only thing. In fact, Paul goes on to say, last passage, he he says, let me just remind you, and Pastor Chris quoted earlier, that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's still the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, no matter how devastating it's been, even if you've lost a ton of relationships already, it's a new day. Even if things have gone south, even if things have gone wayward, today is a new day. And the power of the gospel, the power of God is still available. And can change your heart in such a way that you will never be the same. Not because, not by some religious activity, but simply, simply because you catch the beauty of Jesus. And there your heart says, man, I'll let everything go.
that I might be with him. Can I, can I just share one more thing with you before we wrap up? I want to illustrate this for you because I think it's, it's important. You know, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a religious leader. Can I just tell you one of the biggest distractions is religion? One of the biggest distractions from God is religiosity. Paul goes on to say, he says, I was, if anybody had the right to brag, it was me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Back in the day, that was important. Um, he said, I, I was born to the tribe of Benjamin. When it came to the law, I was blameless. When it came to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was at the top of my game. I knew everything that you could possibly know, but he did not have a revelation of God, and he missed him. And he ended up persecuting and killing and destroying the church until, until he had an encounter with the risen Savior that said, Paul, what are you doing? You need to fix your focus. You need to get your eyes upon me. And listen, guess what? Paul did not stop killing Christians because he was told to. He stopped killing Christians because his eyes were fixed on Jesus and it changed his heart towards people. So one question for you today, where are you focused on self when you should be focused on Jesus? That question right there will define a lot of your relationships.